0: Good morning, everyone. Uh, I hope that you're all doing well. Ooh, I don't know. Can I keep this straight? Um, so it's really funny. Uh, if we haven't met, I'm James. I am an intern here. Uh, but <laughs> like, I always feel like God's got a bit of a sense of humor uh, because the week that I'm going to speak on Joy, I am on my way to the Fishhook police station. I live in Fishhook, and so I just decided to walk on Main Road yesterday because we have um, our child protection policy, like scanning fingerprints. So I'm like walking there to go get my id signed and it starts pouring with rain and i'm just like in the worst mood and i get to the police station and there's this door and i'm like uh, it looks like a pool door so i'm pulling the door and i'm like why is this door not working like i'm just like getting angry at this door and um i'm looking inside the people aren't letting me in i'm like is it closed what's going on (laughs) the guy looks at me he's just like just Push it. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> <like> <laughs> so anyway, uh, it's funny that to talk about joy, there's a whole mix of emotions of anger and frustration. But God is good, and um, I'm really grateful to be here. There's a story about my Saturday. Um, I- if you're joining us, <laughs> if you're joining us, we are continuing in our mini series called Gospel Culture, and we're looking at that together. And throughout the series, we're actually just asking the question what kind of community does the gospel create we're convinced that the gospel in other words the the good news of jesus's death and resurrection that the gospel changes us and it doesn't just change us individually it does that but the gospel also changes us as a community and our conviction is that it's not it's simply not enough to just believe the gospel with our minds, without allowing it to reach down deep into our hearts and change our lives and change our relationships with one another. Because in the gospel, we see the beauty of Jesus. And as a community, we're asking, how do we as a church reflect that beauty of Christ in our relationships with one another right here, right now? but also with our witness to the world. What kind of community does the gospel create? And this morning we're thinking about joy. Our God is a joyful God. And because of the gospel, God changes us into a community of true, lasting joy as he shares his joy with us. And so... Would you look with me on the screen? We're going through a number of different passages today. So would you look with me on the screen to 1 Timothy chapter 6, uh, verse 15 to 16. It reads, God, the happy and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, the only one to have immortality, living in the light no one can approach, whom no one has seen or is able to see, to whom be honor and power forever. Amen. Our sovereign God is happy. I'm not too sure what comes to your mind when you think about God and his character, but according to the Bible, our God is, amongst other things, exceedingly happy, and he is happy in a far deeper and more lasting way than any of us can know. He's not indifferent or contemplative, He's not occasionally optimistic or or fickle. He doesn't constantly shift from being in a good mood to a bad mood like we do. No, our God is happy. He is deeply joyful, full to the brim with delight, overflowing with gladness and satisfaction. Uh, The word makarios, which was translated as happy on that screen, um, but which in your Bible is probably the word blessed is the same word that starts all the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5 and which describes those of us who will enter the wedding supper celebration of the Lamb in Revelation 19. Throughout the New Testament, this word describes someone with a serious, lasting, and at times, ecstatic joy. It describes someone who is blessed and someone who is happy. And here in 1 Timothy, Paul describes our God as happy. And this often goes unnoticed, but if you read Scripture, it is everywhere. Take Psalm 104, for example. This is a psalm all about praising our God, the reasons why we can praise God. But Psalm 104, verse 31, talks about God rejoicing in His works. May the glory of the Lord continue forever. The Lord takes pleasure in all He has made. From the grandness of the Milky Way galaxy... To the intricacy of a single atom. From the heights of Mount Everest to the depths of the Mariana Trench. From the densely populated rainforests of the Amazon River to the arid sand dunes of the Sahara Desert, the Lord takes pleasure in it all. From the torrential rains and freezing cold of winter to the sunny blue sky, beach days, and warmth of summer. From the falling trees and the leaves of autumn to the blossoming buds of spring and the howling southeaster winds all year round to remind us that we live in the valley. The Lord takes pleasure in it all. From the nature and speed of light to the laws of gravitation and thermodynamics to one plus one equals two, the Lord takes pleasure in it all. From the majestic and hardy boabab trees of Lompopo to the sweet-smelling fanebus of the Cape, to the freshly cut grass here at Africa House, from the humpback whales breaching in the false bay to spotted eagle owlets in Nortik, to western leopard toads hopping along the lower silver mine woodlands. The Lord takes pleasure in it all. And even in the weird stuff, like an ostrich. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a huge flightless bird with this abnormally long neck. And as I was reading up on it, it doesn't actually bury its head in the ground when it's sad. (laughs) That's actually just a myth. It doesn't do that. Um, Or take the giant Pacific octopus, for example. It's the the world's largest octopus with eight long sucker-filled legs. How many? It's got three hearts, nine brains, and blue blood. From the art to the jellyfish, to a platypus, to an ant, to a songololo. The Lord takes pleasure in all that he has made. But did you know that he takes special delight in his people? Isaiah 62 is an Old Testament promise that God would renew and restore his people. And in it, God tells us why he will do this. Isaiah 62 verse 4 says, Never again will you be called the forsaken city or the desolate land. Your new name will be the city of God's delight and the bride of God. For the Lord delights in you and will claim you as his bride. The Lord delights in his people. A people who were once forsaken and desolate, but now by God's redeeming grace are loved and delighted in. A people who were once enemies of God, dead in sin and rebellion, now by God's love and mercy, sons and daughters of God, alive to His love, freedom, and joy. God delights in His people, and God delights in you. I wonder if I could ask you a few questions. What does God think when He thinks about you? How does God feel when he sees you? How does God react to you, to your decisions, your mistakes, your faith, and your life? For too much of my Christian life, I believed the lie that God was constantly angry with me constantly disappointed with me, frustrated and resentful of me. I believe the lie that surely God would grow tired of my constant failings, my recurring sins, my endless struggle to trust Him. I believe the lie that God's most natural posture to me in my life was that of an angry judge pointing his finger, condemning me. And if I'm honest, I find myself still believing this at times. And I wonder if that's true for you too. Even though that you are in Christ, you believe in him, you trust in his gospel, you feel like God is still angry and disappointed and tired of you. Do you believe that that's how God feels about you? My brother and sister, would you please hear this truth? That if you are in Christ, there is now no condemnation. Christ has redeemed you by his blood shed on the cross. He has forgiven you and freed you. He is risen and you are a new creation. By his grace, you are saved and he delights in you. When he thinks of you, he smiles. When he's with you, he rejoices. According to Psalm 17, you are the apple of his eye, someone who brings him deep Lasting, ecstatic joy. And if you're anything like me, when he sees you, he probably laughs quite a bit too. God delights in his people, and he delights in you, so much so that he sings over you at the top of his lungs. Would you look with me at these famous words from Zephaniah 3, verse 17? For the Lord your God is living among you. He is a mighty Savior. He will take delight in you with gladness. With his love he will calm your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. Our God sings. And he sings because of his overflowing joy and delight in his people. Would you hear Zephaniah's words this morning? God delights in you with gladness and rejoices over you with joyful songs. Another translation describes God as exalting over you with loud singing. The creator of the universe, who according to Psalm 24, holds all of space and time in the palm of his hands, rejoices over you with loud, joyful songs of celebration and love would you just stop for a moment and and consider it? Like, I I wonder what it would be like. I wonder if it would be a bit like the rugby last night. Good or bad. Um, Over 60,000 people in Ellis Park, all cheering, shouting, supporting, and celebrating their team, their people all singing maybe at one time ole 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 but I, I wonder if that's not a picture of our god joyfully singing over us loudly cheering shouting supporting and celebrating his People, I wonder. I wonder if it would be like the loud and beautiful sounds, the ululating sounds of an African wedding, that God would stand there, or more likely, He'd be dancing there um, and joyfully ululate over His people. I, I, I just wonder. He's delighting in them. He's rejoicing in them. He's celebrating His great love over them with loud, joyful sounds and singing. Or, I, I wonder if the words of of one of God's songs that he sings is anything like Nintin Sweeney and Guy Garvey's song, Darling Boy. For a little bit of context, um, my, my girlfriend Em and her parents foster little babies. And at the moment, they're fostering the most precious beautiful little boy, like he's just, he's the best, he really is, and, and very often when I'm in their home, either one of them sing these words, which were written by a dad for his newborn son, and it goes something like this, darling boy, darling boy, when I see you smile, I see stars, when you laugh, my heart beats double time. I can't believe you're mine. And I just wonder if that's not a tiny picture of our God singing over you and me, our heavenly Father joyfully rejoicing over us, singing, darling boy, darling girl, when you smile, I see stars. When you laugh, my heart beats double time. I can't believe that you're mine. Our God delights in his people with gladness, and he rejoices over them with loud, joyful, and heartfelt songs. Our God is happy. And to be in his presence, to be where God is, means experiencing his pure, undiluted joy. Psalm, uh, Psalm, Psalm 16 verse 11, in your presence is fullness of joy, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. 1 Chronicles 16 verse 27, splendor and majesty are before him, strength and joy are in his dwelling place. And perhaps most definitively of all, there's Psalm 115 verse 3, which simply says, our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Pleasure, happiness, joy, delight, gladness. God experiences them all and in far greater measure than we do. And that's just touching on some. Some of the verses in the Old Testament. And the reason for mentioning all of these passages is to show you that the happiness of God is not a new idea, but that it's a a vital part of biblical teaching. And in fact, if you were to follow Jesus, the Son of God in the Gospels, you'll see how extraordinary it is that anyone could see God as anything but wonderfully happy. For example, Jesus' first miracle, the first sign of His Public ministry as God's Messiah is what? To turn water into wine at a wedding. To turn a moment of shame and sadness into one of joy and gladness. Over and over again in the Gospels, we see Jesus feasting. He's at a meal. He's eating with people, drinking with people, telling stories and parables about banquets and parties and the joy of old women and gutsy shepherds. And he did this so often that the religious leaders of his day called him a glutton and a drunkard. But he even himself described himself as one who came eating and drinking. Jesus feasted. He was always at a meal. Um, one, One commentator I was reading that was commentating on Luke's gospel said this about Jesus. Jesus was either on a way to a meal, at a meal, or on his way home from a meal. <laughs> and another one said that if if you read the Gospel of Luke and don't get hungry, then you're not reading it right. <laughs> like, like, Jesus feasted. Over and over again in the Gospels, we see Jesus talking to and playing with children. Now, I'm not sure if you've noticed this, but children don't want to be around grumpy people. Like, some of you would be like, why don't children come up to me? And I don't know what to say. Maybe you just need to process that with your life group, talk to some trusted (laughs) friends. uh, But children don't want to be around grumpy people. But everywhere that Jesus went, the disciples had to pull the children away from him. Children wanted to be around him and talk to him and probably play with him. And I take that to mean that he was fun. Over and over again, we see Jesus healing people. Think about the paralyzed man in Mark chapter 2 with me. Someone who could not walk. Someone who had to be carried to Jesus on a mat by his friends. After meeting Jesus, he is now free from pain. Now able to walk, able to run, able to carry his own mat out of the house. And not just that. Now his sins were forgiven. His life would be forever changed. Can you imagine the joy that must have filled his heart, the hearts of his friends and family, and everyone who witnessed that miracle? Or think about the woman in Mark chapter 5, someone who was subject to sickness that left her with chronic menstrual bleeding for 12 years, someone who suffered a great deal under many doctors and spent all that she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. Someone who continually remained ceremonially unclean, cut off from community and worshiping God with his people. Someone unable to bear children, who simply touched Jesus' cloak and was immediately healed. What about her? Imagine her shock, her relief, her joy as the pain suddenly stopped. What gratitude must have filled her heart as Jesus freed her from her suffering? Think of Jairus in that same chapter and his 12-year-old daughter. One of the synagogue leaders, his name was Jairus, came and when he saw Jesus, he fell to his feet. And he pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live." So Jesus went with him. Can you imagine the desperation of this dad, not knowing what else to do, but holding on to this glimmer of hope of his daughter being healed? But while they're on their way, some people come from Jairus' house and said, your daughter's dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? Maybe some of you can imagine, but I think for a lot of us, we can't imagine the pain, the hopelessness, the helplessness he must have experienced. That glimmer of hope now gone. The grief of a father who's just lost their child. And can you imagine his joy, his gratitude, and his delight as Jesus takes his little girl by the hand, raising her from the dead, giving her back to her father, bringing comfort and joy to their family. Over and over again, we see Jesus restoring sight to the blind, raising the dead to life, setting free those afflicted by demons. Jesus healed people, and that would bring great joy. Lastly, over and over again, we see Jesus practicing the Sabbath, which amongst other things was a day of rest and delight in God. The writer of Hebrews described Jesus as being anointed with the oil of joy, meaning that the people who knew Jesus best knew that he was incredibly joyful. And astonishingly, God was even joyful on the lowest and darkest day there's ever been when Jesus died on the cross. It was awful. Then it was bleak. And it was sinful. It was the most intensely painful and hideous thing that anyone has ever experienced. At the one level, the father and son were in utter anguish, separated for the first and only time, and personally experiencing the full effects of sin. Yet on the other hand, the deep and lasting victory that was being won in the process Proved to be a source of great joy. The process was unspeakably terrible, but the result would bring such glorious consequences that even in the darkest moment of history, there was cause for joy. Isaiah 53, verse 10 to 11. But it pleased the Lord to crush him and cause him grief. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted as righteous, for he will bear all their sins. Or Hebrews 12 verse 2, Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. There was joy even at the cross. For the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured the cross. Because through his suffering and death, the penalty of sin would be paid for. And the power of sin and death forever defeated. Through Jesus being crushed on the cross, many, including you and me, if you believe and follow Jesus, many are now counted as righteous Even in the darkest moment in history, there was cause for joy. Now, these verses might pose a problem for for some of us, because how could God be angry and heartbroken and yet joyful at the same time? But if you think about it, we experience simultaneous emotions, emotions at the same time, all the time. For example, if... Eliechle went and played a soccer game, right? And he can be so stoked at scoring a goal on the one hand, but he could be sad that his mom wasn't there to watch the game. He could be disappointed that his team didn't win the game and be angry at a bad call the referee made, all at the same time. We experience simultaneous emotions all the time, so it should be no surprise that God, who is far more complex than we are, can experience them as well. The reality is that in every decision the Lord has made, there is a deep and lasting happiness that outlives all other feelings. Certain of the goodness of his purposes and permanently delighted by the glories of his cause, his creation and his character, God is and can be nothing but happy. And this joy, this joy of God is something that God loves to share. Would you hear Jesus' promises from John 15, verse 11? I have told you this, that you may, that so that my joy may be in you, and your joy may be complete. Jesus' promise in John 15 is that God's joy may become your joy, and your joy May be complete and full. The question becomes how? How does God share, how do we share in God's joy? There could be many more things said, but I'll give you three that come to mind for me. Firstly, we share in God's joy as, as Christians by just being with Jesus. Now, the context of John 15 is Jesus teaching on the vine and the branches. He says in John 15, verse 4 and 5, sorry, can you pop it up again? Um, Remain in me, or abide in me, or simply just be with me as I also remain in you, Jesus says. No branch can bear fruit by itself, but must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me i am the vine you are the branches if you remain in me and i in you you will bear much fruit apart from me you can do nothing i have told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete jesus is saying if you want to receive god's true and lasting joy you need to remain in the vine Just as a branch has to remain in the vine to to live, grow, and bear fruit, followers of Jesus have to remain in the vine. That means simply to be with Jesus, to spend quality time with Him, learning about who He is and what He's like, learning about what He loves, learning about what breaks His heart, learning about His character and nature in the stories of Scripture reading it, to get to know him. And it's to talk to him. To talk to him about the difficulties that you're facing. The questions you have about life and faith, your dreams and your fears, your questions that you have about him. It's simply to take the time to talk to Jesus. And to be mindful of him wherever you go. To remain in the vine, to simply be with Jesus, is our call and is the pathway to God's joy. And he calls us to do that day after day after day. And God's Spirit will give you his joy, and your joy will be complete. Here's two ancient practices that people have done to be mindful of who God is, to be be with him and be present Jesus, And so maybe this week, would you consider the practice of silence and solitude? Intentionally taking moments in your day or your week just to stop, switch off, and block out the noise. To sit in the quiet calm of God's presence, mindful that he is always with you, and to rest. And to be filled in Him. Now, it can be anything from 10 minutes when you first wake up to an hour-long retreat or hours-long retreat if you wanted to. But the, 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 the point is to just stop and be with Him. To reorientate your heart and life back towards following Jesus. And in that, experience His joy. Or would you consider practicing or keeping the Sabbath? Now, this is intentionally switching off and stopping work to rest, rejoice, and worship for a whole day. It could be any day. It could be a Sunday. It could be from a Friday evening to a Saturday evening. But it's intentionally setting aside 24 hours of your day in your week. And filling that day with the things that you love, the things that point you to God, the things that will cause you to be grateful, the things that will bring you rest. Whether it's sleep or going to the beach or worshiping together with your brothers and sisters, whether it's having mates over for a braai, reading a really good book or going for a run, it can be anything. But maybe set aside 24 hours of your week and rest, because God is God, and even he rested, and we are finite, weary creatures who need to rest too. So would you consider taking some time to be silent before God, to rest from your week, and simply be with Jesus, remaining in the vine, receiving from him his joy? Secondly, would you find your joy in the Lord and not your circumstances? I realize that in a book like this and reflecting on God's joy and the happiness that's there, that for some of you here this morning, you are not in a season of joy and please hear me, this isn't a call for you to fake it until you make it or to just be like, I have to be happy and I'll grind my teeth so that I can look happy. It's not that. The Bible is clear. There's a balance between seasons of, and a time of mourning and weeping, and a time of laughing and joy and, be, and being joyful. And this is not me saying, you have to, you have to. But all I'm saying is, the Bible is clear. He does command that we rejoice. Not because everything's okay, but we rejoice in the Lord because of who He is and what He has done. And even if it just means rejoicing in the fact that one day you'll be in heaven and not have pain anymore. That's the call of God for you. My prayer is that for you who are suffering that you would find in Jesus your comfort and your peace, that you would feel his nearness and not feel like you have to be happy, but rather your joy can be, as Sean prayed for us, a contentment in God that surpasses understanding. May the joy of the Lord be your strength. And lastly, how do we share in God's joy? We share in God's joy by being with God's people. You know, Sundays are a lot of things. But one of the things they are is actually an opportunity to celebrate who our God is with his people, to be reminded of his character, and to let that change how we view our circumstances. Why don't we follow Jesus by having meals together? Have people over in your home or invite yourself to their home. If you want to invite me, I'll come. I don't mind. But eat together. Do things that you love together. If you love hiking, go hike together. If you love to take a cold plunge, go cold plunge together. If you love to sing, then sing. Find opportunities to be with God's people and let God use them to encourage you to be joyful. We need one another because there are moments like today where we sing about God's truth, about him being our living hope. Even though we are in the pits, even though we are struggling, I can see Baptist next to me singing out the truth of God. When we pray together, I might not be able to pray because of what I'm going through, but hearing Baptist pray, his faith (laughs) encourages my faith. And that's how we can share joy together. So be with God's people. And as you do, would you remember that we will never experience God in a bad mood, overcome by regret or depressed about a bad choice someone has made? He does get grieved. He is saddened. But just as Paul was sorrowful yet always rejoicing, our God remains joyful, blessed, glad and delighted. In other words, the happy and only sovereign king. Would you pray with me? And would you just be with me and be with Jesus to take some time just to breathe in and breathe out. Mindful of His presence with us and the joy that he offers us. My prayer is that you would receive His joy even as we sing now. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are joyful. Thank you that you show us what true and lasting joy is. And thank you that we can look at you in the light. Thank you god that you sing over your people that you delight in us and i pray that the truth of your word would would rebuke us would change us and change our mindset when it comes to you that you are not angry or resentful but you are so open and so joyous and my prayer is that as a people we would be a people of joy radiating the beauty and joy of God to our world and to one another. But I pray that you would comfort and give contentment to those of my brothers and sisters who are suffering. Where joy has been a distant memory and who are hurting, would you give them your joy, your peace. For your glory, Lord, we pray. Amen. Would you stand and sing? And as you do, would you be reminded of these words in Romans 15, verse 13? May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit.